0: Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Faye, I'm joined this week by Tyrone Marshall. Just a quick note, though, before we get started, there is some construction work taking place right outside our podca- podcast studio, so if you hear any industrial noises, then uh, we do apologise for that. Any industrial language as well, Tyrone, that is forbidden on today's
1: podcast. There was some industrial language when Alejandro Carnaccio <laughs> took that over and kick. kicked Yeah, there was, wasn't
0: yeah, I mean, that's the place to start, isn't it? We'll go to what United's win against Everton in detail, but it is all caveated by what happened after two and a half minutes. Garnacho's goal, can you imagine... Can, I mean, for you, where's that rank? Is that the best overhead kick you've ever seen? I think from sort of a modern point of view, we put it with Rooney against City, Ronaldo against Juventus, Bale against Liverpool. Garnaccio against Everton, though. I mean, the angle, he's far...
1: He's basically on the edge of the box. Yeah, it it was just... It was, everything about it was beautiful, wasn't it? It was... You know, a, a, written a piece this morning and I was kind of comparing it to Rooney's and Rooney's was like, it was it was classic of Rooney, wasn't it? It was an angry overhead kick, yeah. like an Shined aggressive it. overhead kick, he did shin it, like the celebration was aggressive, it was just pure like unfiltered Rooney, whereas that kind of felt like unfiltered Garnaccio, it was like balletic, wasn't it? In the way, the way the way he got up, it was a proper overhead kick, you mentioned Bales there, that was like, it, it, the, the occasion for Bale to Champions League final was amazing, but it was like, Kind Of almost like a hooked over his head, wasn't it? Whereas Ganacho was like technically yeah. beautiful, like I, it was beautiful to look at. I do think there's something I'm not quite sure what the point is, but Ronaldo, I mean, Bale,
0: maybe not as much, kind of, though, but those Rooney, Ronaldo, Bale, they're all at the peak of their powers at that point. This is a teenager, yeah, sort of announcing himself a with a out moment because everyone had seen everyone who comes to United knows how good Ganacho can be, but. He's had moments, hasn't he, on the first-team scene? And you know, ironically, he gets him out of the match. He doesn't have the, the complete performance. He, I think, may knows we'll get on to him as better player on the day. But for a youngster to actually produce that, you could see Luke Shaw's reaction, you could see everyone's reaction. They were just shocked and stunned. We know this guy's special, but Jesus. Yeah. He is really special because there's been moments, haven't there, where we've looked at Garnett and said, well, he doesn't really play that well from the start. He's probably been the you know, United's best attacker for the last month or so, actually. But he's never really had that moment yet, has he on the first team scene? I he's had some good goals and some important goals, but that is that will send shockwaves across the world, that goal.
1: Yeah, I mean that it'd be replayed everywhere, and the fact is Man United as well, that he's he's done it for it, it you know, it would have broken what's left of social media on Sunday. It was like a him announcing himself I and mean, he, he has scored some great goals and some really important goals. We probably want in a way we forget how young he is i mean he's not even 19 and a half i don't think yet you know he's still very
0: you can tell someone's like, young when they call themselves 19 a and a half can't yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i've called him that to be fair i don't know if he's going around saying he's 19 and a half maybe um but it's just to show like how young he is really that he's um, um you know only turned 19 early Nineteen and a half. Think, 19 yeah. and a half and he's 19 until he's 20 and it's um but we still, we want more from him. We want him to influence games more, to influence games constantly, to score more goals. And, you know, we've spoken at length at this podcast this season about the lack of goals from attacking areas and now they all need to do more. Um, you know, I, I said last week that if United t- to win any of these away games this week, someone in their attack is going to have to stand up and win a game. And, I mean, yesterday all three did it in a way, I guess, all three doubling their goals tally. But... It was gone. Actually, they got the ball rolling. You can't underestimate the importance of scoring an early goal in that atmosphere yesterday as well. Given you know everything that was going on with Everton, it, it, you know, it didn't silence the place, but it kind of you know it settled United down massively. And it you know it was just a phenomenal goal. And the, there's clearly more to come from him, as Ten Hag was saying yesterday with the the Rooney-Ronaldo comparisons. I mean, that's his seventh goal in fifty-two games, I think, for United. And like I say, he's still 19 and a half, but he's got to score. He's got to score more goals. Tanakh's right that even, even a wide player and a winger these days, in a four three three, the the wingers are kind of forwards anyway. You look at Salah, Saka, Sterling. You know, these wide players have got to score yeah, Gone are
0: the days where you just whip crosses it. Yeah. Now you're expected you're to, expect to score. You've to got to score.
1: That. A winger, from, a wide player from United in four three three has got to score 20 goals a season. I think 15 to 20 goals a season. And that's what he's got to get to. He's got to add in regular goals and tap-ins and easy goals with the spectacular but we know there's a you know we knew there was a hell of a player there but that was just a reminder of what a special talent he is
0: there was a nice moment after the game actually where we were in the mixer and we spoke to bruno Fernandes. but as the players making their way out james garner who used to play for united was there having a catch-up with some of the united staff and when Garnacho came past he's went where the hell did that come from (laughs) he's like like, i know ganache is good but that is that's a very special goal and yeah you mentioned a good point there that the goal did sort of stun Goodison Park because, you know, it was... I can't recall fan protests like that since the Europe, European Super League, you know. And, of course, that was at a time where crowds and attendances were subdued anyway. they you know limited to how many they could be. But Goodison Park was a bear pit and United could easily have crumbled, you know, in that situation. They still rode their luck a little bit at times, particularly in the first half. I mean, the quirk was that they went in ahead at the break despite not having a chance really because yeah. we've gone out to a goal the nature of it but I guess it's a compliment isn't it Ty that even if you take away that goal United did still overcome that test of character
1: yeah they did and we were just saying on our on way up to the studio that I don't, I don't know anyone that actually thought United would win that game on Sunday even United fans the United fans I know none of them actually thought United would win that game some of them were very aggressively betting on Everton to win the game. And, you know, and from everything we've seen of United away from home this season under Ten Hag, the questions about their character, the fact that Everton had won six in nine anyway, without this added motivation of the ten point deduction, you know do not I d I, I don't I didn't hear anyone say that I think United will win this game. And I didn't expect them to win the game. I don't know about you, I'm guessing you didn't expect no, them to I win thought, the game. I thought
0: a draw at best. Yeah.
1: But it's you know it's interesting to put in like we say, Goodison was always gonna be furious. I mean, you were at the game yesterday, I was watching at a children's birthday party and there were some, I think they've learned some new uh, some new language after that goal in the third minute when they uh, watching it on the tablet. Um, but it's, it's probably interesting actually to put into context just what it was like because obviously for people not there, we, we know that Sky kind of tried to subdue some it. Yeah, of the language it was, and stuff like that. So I mean, what, what was it? It, it was uh,
0: as loud as I can sort of recall a stadium in recent memory of just, they were booing any Premier League iconography. I'm talking about when, before like ten minutes before the anthem, when they get that sort of the boarding out where it's got the Everton logo, the United logo, and the Premier League and stuff. That was booed beyond belief. You wouldn't be able to tell at the stadium, but they played the Premier League anthem. You could not not hear any of it. It was just so high pitched. The, the pink sort of placards, the flyers, whatever you want to call them. I mean, on the walk to the stadium, I was hand, I was offered a pink placard, 15, 20 times. You know, this was three hours before kickoff. You know, this was. There was so much fury and anger in the air. And like I said, before, just before half-time as well, as some Everton fans made their way in. Uh, obviously, the team are losing anyway, and they're a bit angry because they should be at least level in that game, the amount of chances they had. And there's some irate Everton fans screaming at the press box, telling us to make sure that we go on go in hard on the Premier League because they are a, a corrupt organisation. Obviously, there are the banners. But yeah, it was just... It was a type of atmosphere, as we said previously, that United could crumble in. And I guess the ultimate test is they've got two more of those this week because Galatasaray, away, as we'll get onto later, you know, that is welcome to hell. That is famous in world football as being arguably the most intimidating place to go and play football. And then Newcastle on a Saturday night, who have just beaten Chelsea 4-1. This is a real test of character. But yeah, Goodison Park, I didn't quite know what to expect, but... There was a lot of angry Evertonians, <laughs> and they were even angry by full time because, you know, they went out with a, with a whimper, really, and that's credit to United. And it's also a credit moving on nicely to Kobe Mayu, who United fans have been crying out to see for a long time. We always knew he was good. I don't think any of us expected him to be that good. I mean, this was, I know the, the, I did the piece on it, and there's one comment saying he's the next Jude Bellingham, but this is what the best midfielders do. You look at like Pedri at Barcelona, you look at what Bellingham was doing at a similar age. They were dictating games and Mainu looks like he's cut from the same cloth.
1: He does, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jude Bellingham's only 20. We're already looking for the next Jude <laughs> Bellingham, even though he's still 20. Isn't Joe
0: Bellingham the new Jude, Jude Bellingham?
1: <laughs> yeah, quite possibly, yeah. Quite possibly. Um, yeah, I mean, a, a phenomenal performance. And like we say, to show that character in, in that atmosphere and that environment is incredible, really. On your first first Premier League start. Yeah. Um, He'd only ever
0: started against Charlton before in yeah. the
1: Cup and yeah, he I mean, wouldn't be able to tell. No, exactly. And it was clear in pre-season that Ten Hag really liked him. And yeah. You were
0: there for that Real Madrid game, weren't
1: you? Where yeah, when he Ten got Ten Hag
0: effectively played like a strongest team, yeah. didn't he? And yeah, And started.
1: mainly started. And then got injured very early. And when he, when he started in that game, all kind of building up to that game, you could sense and what you were hearing, speaking to people on, you know, the great thing on tours is that you get so much more access than you do over here. And, speaking to people a bit more closely associated with it, just a bit more relaxed environments in, in a way on touring. Everyone was saying, Ten Hag loves him, you know, Ten Hag loves Kobe Mainu, And we've said, we've said a lot on this podcast how Ten Hag is, is being pretty ruthless with the academy, which I think is partly driven by FFP and things like that. But also just by the sense that if you're now 20, 19, 20, and you're not competing for a first team place at United, then there's no point in being at the club so you know zidanec bell is a classic example sell him sell. um you know garner last year charlie savage well that's
0: the thing but the the easy narrative on sunday would have been mainu mainu is anonymous and james garner wins again for everton and then you're saying has he made the right decision but he's reversed yeah the 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 word for me that has always been that look Tanaga's ruthless he wants more cohesion between the first team and the academy Mm. But he does want it to be that, look, if you want to get into the first... something i getting broken into him. <laughs> Under attack. Yeah, but basically saying that, you know, if you aren't good enough, there is literally no point giving you that chance. And I suppose there's been criticism in the past that some United managers have almost given token debuts to young players just because they're from the academy. Yeah. And United have this illustrious history and they've got this incredible record of having academy players in the first team. And that's not to be sniffed at the majority of them are there on merit, they deserve it. But there has always been a feeling that just because someone's in the academy, they're getting a, ch- a chance that someone else perhaps deserves. But certainly for Ten Hag, you look at the two youngsters who've had a chance, Garnacho and Maynou, and they're the two stand stand-up players.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it does show that, yes, he's being ruthless at, at that kind of age bracket, but he's also saying, if you are good enough, then you are going to get chances. We've, you know, we've kind of seen it with Dan Gore as well, who, who is highly rated and has had some first-team exposure um, and, you know, we, we, were, we were talking last week, saying, so, oh, you know, Kobe Maynou, back fit, how, how close does he get? There's so many injuries in midfield, and I don't think any of us actually expected him to start. I think we all thought it'd probably go with, you know, Amrabat and the only three fit senior midfielders, really. I don't think any of us expected to see Kobe Maynou on that team sheet, but it shows the faith he has in him. Like I say, he was really good in pre-season. Being in that team against Real Madrid was a huge statement of intent, and... It, 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 you'd want him in the team the rest of the week I think yeah. at, I've got to ask least, this though. that
0: even when fully fit what, I mean Manu has taken his opportunity with both hands there as he could have done against Everton but obviously you're only as good as your last game if he gets another chance this week he needs to now back it up again when Erickson's back when Casemiro is back when Mount's back do you still think Mainu's going to get chances?
1: Absolutely yeah I mean it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that midfield shakes up because you know, on form this season, it sounds mad to say it, but you'd have McTominay in and say you know, had a Casemiro.
0: Yeah. I, I think on form, your midfield would be McTominay, Maneu Fernandez. Fernandez,
1: it probably would, yeah. Mason Mount has done nothing. Um, it would have been very interesting, actually, to see if Mount was fit who would have started that game. You, you know, you, you're at the point where, I don't want to say things are becoming problematic for Mount, it's clearly very yeah. early days And it's clearly Ten Hag's man as well. He's clearly Ten Hag's man but you wonder how he gets in a team at the moment because Erikson's been better than him. Mount's been better than him. The Amrabat signing is kind of like I mean it's hard to see a, a case for making that permanence at the moment. Where does he get in the team? If he signed as a holding midfielder is he third choice now behind McTominay, you know the the picture but maybe in that in that fourth midfield, we've
0: played maybe. maybe if
1: you play anyone anyway that holding role fourth and the picture in that midfield has changed so much since the summer, when I think Ten Hag looked at it and thought Casemiro and Mount Fernandez, I've got my midfield. And, now, and we will have all
0: done pieces in the summer. We'll saying, that is, saying, that that's is the team.
1: That's his dream midfield. That's what he wants. Now you're looking at it, and even when they're fit, Casemiro and Mount maybe don't get in the team. Um, and you know, the, it, it's great to have options there, but it's you know, it's it's going to be interesting how that shakes up because there's some players there you know they spent an awful lot of money on yeah. who. Don't say Arn, you know, Mount hasn't delivered yet, Casemiro has, he was excellent last season, but he's, you know, he, he was... Yeah, he's always a short-term
0: fix, wasn't
1: he? He was a short-term fix, and it's looking maybe even shorter than United hoped for. Um, so, you know, it, it would be, if Mainu continues this trajectory, we've mentioned it previously, but wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if United are on the phone to Michael Emanalo in Saudi Arabia in the summer, at least, saying, do you fancy Casemiro? Because if Mainu does continue this trajectory, you can argue there's, there's less need for Casemiro unless he rediscovers that form in the second half of the season that he showed last year and really convinces you he's worth another year, another year as basically the club's best-paid player. You'd argue you'd look at kind of a, a transition to someone like Maynu anyway.
0: Yeah, and like you said, worst case is it'll hopefully bring out the best of those who are on the periphery now and are out of favour, and if it doesn't, then that's your case to to get rid of them. That's all for part two, uh, part one, sorry, of the Manchester is Red podcast. We'll be back after the short break for part two. Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. We've spoken Garnaccio, we've spoken Mayno. Who else were your stand-up players against Everton? I mean, Bruno Fernandes said that basically back to front they were good. He praised Anthony Martial's movement, he praised the back four, the return of Luke Shaw. And also there was that moment for Marcus Rashford to finally end his goal draft at club level. Good captaincy, that, for Bruno Fernandes, wasn't it? To, to hand the ball to Rashford for the penalty and... An emphatic finish that maybe you wouldn't always associate with a player so low on confidence.
1: Yeah, it was a, a great penalty for someone who has looked short on confidence. I mean, when I when I saw Rashford with the ball, I immediately thought, what what's going on here? And when that happens, your first thought is always he's going to miss it. Like they're they changed, they're playing around with the penalty taker. Yeah. I suppose
0: but, Rashford will have taken a lot of penalties against Pickford at international level.
1: Yeah, possibly. Yeah, maybe that maybe that comes into the thinking. I mean, it wouldn't have matter who was in goal. No goalkeeper in the world is saving that penalty. Um, and Martial's finish as well was was superb. You know, incredible that the front three were all, all on the score sheet, really, given how... I mean, certainly out of form Rashford and Martial have been gone. Actually, it's been in pretty decent form, but hasn't scored that many goals. Um, but yeah, you know, back to front, they, they were all pretty good. I think the defence was excellent. It was real back-to-the-wall stuff. And you know, Everton, f- for all the talk of how it was going to be a hostile environment at Everton, had their team talk done for them. They had also won six of the last nine games, scored quite a lot of goals. I think in maybe three or four of those, they'd scored three goals. Suddenly under Dice, they'd looked a real, you know, a, a really dangerous team, scoring a lot of goals. Calvert-Lewin hitting form. Um, so I don't you know, I think anyone really expected you know, United to keep a clean sheet there. So to do so, Anana made some good saves. Like you say, sure, you've written a piece on him for this lunchtime. He is just Mr. Reliable now, isn't he? At left back, he's a fantastic player. Um, the centre backs again, and I mean, I thought Maguire was was excellent. We are.
0: What do you think the strongest back four is then when everyone's fully fit? Because I was intrigued to see that Dallow got the nod ahead of Wan-Bissaka because you know how good Wan-Bissaka has been. Obviously, maybe there's fitness over the international break or whatever, or you're trying to stagger your team for the week ahead. You can't really have someone starting three games maybe with that magnitude in a row. But when fully fit, you'd say the back four would be Shaw, Maguire, Martinez and then a right-back, wouldn't you? Would you yeah. agree with that yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I would, yeah. Like, you know, I think we said countless times. I don't think there's a lot in that right-back battle. It's maybe the closest battle in the team. Um, but neither neither kind of performs consistently enough to a high enough standard to, to make it their own. You know, the the centre-back situation is interesting because of Ferran, isn't it? I think there's, as much as Ten Hag is playing it down, there's, there's clearly something going on there. There's just just absolutely no way that a full-time Champions League winner, a World Cup winner, who's still only 30, is going to be happy being dropped for Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof and Johnny Evans. And however you want to phrase it about right-footers and left-footers or left-sided centre-backs, it's, you know, I, I don't think that is going to be washing with Rafael Varane somehow. Um, there is there is clearly something else at play there, I think. And, you know, Varane had a spell alongside Martinez last year when he was really good. I, I don't think he's been... Phenomenal, consistently phenomenal in his United career, but you'd still probably have him in your best defence, I think. But I know at the moment it's, you know, it's clearly not stark a situation as Sancho, but you look at it and you wonder how it, how it plays out, because I just can't imagine a scenario where he wants to stay. And it's not like he's... I mean, I guess maybe he is next in line behind Maguire, but if Lindelof got injured and Johnny Evans was back fit, He's had Johnny Evans in the team there yeah. ahead of Varane. And so. now he'd even potentially play Shaw there. Could play Shaw there, yeah, of course. Now he's back as a left-footed option. Um, and, I mean, to be fair, on, on form this season, you'd probably have Maguire ahead of Varane. Yeah. I mean, I think Maguire deserves so much credit considering, you know, how...
0: Well, it seems certain that him and McTominay would both leave in the summer, and now they are two of the first names on the team sheet, and haven't let United down really in this campaign. United's best football has been with both of them at the heart of it and playing well.
1: I mean, considering how traumatic things were from a footballing point of view for Maguire, how close he came to leaving, just the constant ridicule, you know. I've described him a few times as a pantomime villain, being booed on tour, booed by all the Scotland fans. the opposite of booed, in fact, cheered by the Scotland fans. The ultimate kind of embarrassment. And then he plays really well in that game, and there's cousin an own goal when he came on against Scotland. The Arsenal fans cheering when he came on yeah. in that game at the Emirates, and it's kind of it, it's weird behaviour, but it showed kind of what he'd become, this laughing stock of a figure. Yeah, it's two years since he was the best centre back in Europe at the European Championship, and it's it's. It, <laughs> it it kind of feels, it's close to feeling like this is the centre-back of 2021 and it's easy to forget now, but in the build-up to that Europa League final against Villarreal, talk was entirely dominated by whether Maguire would be fit for that final. Yeah. And it was seen by United, by United fans as absolutely essential Maguire was fit for that final to the point where he travelled... Did he even name him on the bench? Yeah, I think he was, think he on, was the bench, on the bench, but, wasn't he? But clearly wasn't. Even fit. though he was like Bruce, to win a protective booth, like he just wasn't, he wasn't fit, he wasn't going to play. But it was almost like, like using Harry Maguire as mind games, like look, he's on the bench, like a Villarreal gonna go, oh, Maguire's on the bench, what are we gonna do? Sort of like Ronaldo at the yeah, early. yeah, kind of like that. that. Two two World Cup final, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But he was, you know, that that was the discussion. He got, I think he got injured against Villa, maybe towards the end of that season. And then there was four or five league games he missed and United conceded lots of goals yeah, and looked shaky, Liverpool, and... lost at home to Leicester. So I can't remember the others, but there was some. Other, they conceded in all of those games, I think. And they, I know, yeah, they did concede in all of them. And defence looked just shaky and you thought they need Maguire back, they need Maguire fit here. Which seems mad to think now, given how quickly post-Euro's things went off the rails for him. But yeah, I just think he, he deserves so much credit for the way he's he's come back from that because it, you know, it must have been difficult for him going onto a pitch knowing that he's getting ridiculed when you're in that, that sort of form when, you know, when are you, it's, re-
0: it's also the fact that if anyone else makes a mistake, it's, oh, it's fine. But if Maguire makes a mistake, it is just torn apart, it is, yeah. you know, looked at so, so closely and it's just the scrutiny he's under compared to any other United player is, yeah. is incomprehensible really and like you said, it's, it is staggering that he's come through all this and is now playing as good as he ever has done, really, for United. Like, it's hats absolutely. off to him. Like, yeah, I think, incredible.
1: I think enormous. Deserves enormous credit for it. And to, to, to be trying to rediscover that that form and that confidence and that belief in yourself. When you, do, when you have to do your job in front of 50, 60, 70,000 people every week,
0: and never doubting himself either, yeah. even when he's at his low points, he still had that belief that no, I've still got a future at the club. Yeah. I still have. Yeah. I know I can be that player that United yeah. invested so heavily in in the first place. So yeah, it's absolutely incredible. In terms of the other team news we saw on Sunday, then it's hard to forget as well by the end of it that Hoyland and Anthony were both missing, and that was a concern. It was. Not only where United's goals go goal come from, but yes, Hoyland has not scored a domestic goal yet, but he has—he's the leading scorer in the Champions League. Looked like a, a big loss. You'd still expect Hoyland to go back into the team when he's yeah. when he's fit enough, because you know he clearly is Ten Hag's man. He, he, he loves him. But the right wing again as well now, with with Anthony missing that game, and then United's front three players, all of who could play on the right wing as well. Maybe not Marshall as much, but Rashford and Garnacho certainly could, performing well. It just adds to that conundrum once again, doesn't it? I know it feels like we go over ourselves a lot on this podcast, but Anthony, it was a bad week for him to miss and United to play so well, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was. And It it, it kind of felt that he was a sob anyway now. I mean, he was dropped. F- Luton. Was it just Luton he was dropped for? No, no he was dropped for the Copenhagen game. Yeah, he didn't wasn't get it? off the bench yeah. for Copenhagen.
0: But against, against Luton, he was good off the bench. He had that, that chance True. for Ashford to yeah, yeah, score. Yeah,
1: yeah. He'd just been so bad in the run ups to that Copenhagen game that it it felt it was no longer plausible to actually pick him and yeah I I think you know looking ahead to Wednesday you'd have whatever Anthony's situation is you'd have Rashford and Ganaccio on the wings Um, it's you know it's difficult to see a route in for Anthony at the moment he has just been so poor I mean this season he's been he's been even worse than last season and there is the very occasional moment from him. Like you say, he was decent off the bench against Luton, but he just, he he doesn't look a natural fit to this team for me. And I just, I don't, I don't know why he was signed when Ten Hag is now talking about being the best transition team in the world and playing on the break. He's not a winger to play on the break. He hasn't got the the pace or the directness, I don't think, to to do that. It just doesn't, it doesn't come naturally to him. Um, So I think for the way for the way United are playing at the moment maybe Ten Hag wants to develop them and I think he clearly tried to do that at the start of the season and it, it didn't work and had to go back to basics a little bit but for the way this team's set up at the moment I, I don't think Anthony he's, would really have a role yeah
0: that, he sort true. of contradicts everything else yeah. they're trying to do doesn't he and he yeah. slows it down he's like I said it's not a criticism of his style of play because he I think there is a way where almost if a team was like built around him you could make him be very good but he'd have to sort of be the star man and now he's just part of the supporting cast for the other headline names and yeah, you can't really have any passengers, can you, at United? And it just seems like, like you said, just never never fit and I can't, I mean, maybe he'll do a Maguire and prove us all wrong, but I just cannot see it ever really working. No. And again, like you said earlier, the expectations of a winger for United are to score 20 goals a season.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, I, I look at it, I've look, I looked at uh, a picture. looking at all the goals he has scored, and all of them are either, we're basically getting the ball in the final third. Is either making a run into the area to get onto a pass like the the Arsenal goal on his debut, the Everton goal, or he's getting the ball in the inside right channel, kind of facing goal, 25 yards out, taking a touch inside, like at City getting the shot away. Um, where is it? Betis, I think he scored a goal like that, um, and, and that's basically all of his all of his goals are kind of like that, and. He's not someone that you'd see, you know, when, when you, you look at yesterday, for example, or you picture United on the break, and it's Rashford or Garnacho getting the ball, they can get it on halfway, could carry it 30 yeah, yards. They could go left or right. Could go left or right, carry it 30 yards quite easily. You don't, you don't see that with Anthony if you're getting the ball on the halfway. He's, you know We've said previously his dribbling is all left-footed, but it, he just kind of drifts to the touchline, has to come back, play it inside. He, he's, he's a winger, you want to get him on the ball in the final third. If you get him the ball on that right-hand side, where he's facing goal, he can cut in, have a shot, put a dangerous cross in, link up with someone. But to do that, you need to be a dominant team where you're playing in the opposition's half, like a and city, United, or, something. Like a yeah, city yeah. or something like that. And United aren't doing that. And I think when Anthony's getting the ball on the halfway line, I just I don't think he's got the weapons to hurt teams in the way that Rashford and Garnacho has, and that's not his fault. I mean, Ten Hag would have known that when he signed him, and he's not he's not been able to build a United team that can get the best out of Anthony, I don't think. And if he does at some point and they do become that kind of dominant team playing in the opposition half, getting the ball to Anthony 25 yards from goal and, and closer, I think we'll see more from him. But at the moment that's that's just not happening.
0: I was also going to ask you, I mean, this might be I might get some pellets for this. In terms of the United's performance against Everton there, I think the ends justify the means. By the end it was a comfortable win. But there were moments in that game still where, you know, United take the lead through a moment of incredible individual, you know, technique. Similarly, they did that at Burnley. Bruno Fernandes scores a wonder goal. Sheffield United away. It's a one wonder goal. Fulham away. It's a moment of magic, kind of from Fernandes, but bad goal from Leno. United are still predominantly a moments team, aren't they? And against Everton, first half they didn't create a chance, but winning 1-0. They rode their luck a lot. There were some good saves, some good defending, like you said, but Everton missed some sitters as well. The Decore shot, the Calvert-Lewin header. Do you still think that there is this underlying issue about how United play? Because I do think that if you replayed that game on Sunday, maybe 10 times, United could easily have dropped points sort of five or six of those.
1: Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, it, it wasn't a dominant performance. I would say I, I don't think... Any... I think second half was... United were in control, but
0: the first half, yeah. I think they rode their luck quite a bit. I did think it sort of papered over the cracks of what was another mismatch of a, of a team and no sort of identity. Yeah,
1: I, like I say, it got better. Um, even at 2-0, I think there was a spell where you thought Everton looked like they're going to score here, um, but United defended well. I mean, I, given the circumstances, I think every team would have found it pretty difficult there on Sunday, given the... Obvious intensity, Everton were going to play at, and everything surrounding it. I, you know, I don't think even Man City would have gone there and and played Everton off the park just because of the circumstances. I think you know you you have to say it's a a huge win. There was there was elements of the performance that can be better. I think we've been saying that all season, but I don't know. I, I mean, I thought Ten Hag was very bullish on Friday in his in his press conference when you know we had the through the international break, the form team in the Premier League, you know they. They were in the form team in the Premier League if you're basing that on performances. But Ten Hag seemed convinced that they were on the right track. And you look at the league table now, I mean, the two points behind Tottenham and the four points off the top four, I think things are looking a lot better. You'd still want to see a better performance soon, I think. It was a, a good performance in the end, I think. It, like I say, shaky at times, but I think that's probably always going to be the case. But, you know, there's still more to come. If they can produce another... If they can produce a better performance than that this week, then I think mm-hmm. we will be confidently saying they they've probably turned the corner.
0: Yeah, I'm being devil's advocate. I'll put it that way. But yeah, like you <laughs> said, you need those wins to even build the momentum to then be able to dominate games. Anyway, I, yeah. I think we've said in the past that this ideology that a team will dominate every single game is just it's just, it just it's not real. I mean, yeah. anyone who watches City, watch Barcelona, watch Real Madrid, they don't mm-hmm. dominate every single game for ninety minutes. It's no. just not a, a thing. So maybe... I think
1: I think they'll take more from that win. In any other league win this season you know the, the wins against
0: you wrote last week as well that you you, you were looking ahead but that is arguably not his best ever away win into ten Hag. i yeah.
1: think so yeah i you know i said if they won any of these three away games it would be their best away win given the circumstances i mean the competition is fulham away last season because they finished 12th or maybe forest in the league cup because it was 3-0 and convincing maybe rail sausage you know they had but they hadn't had a standout away win and Given the, the circumstances of all three of these away games and the, the quality of opposition in Newcastle, the atmosphere and the requirement to get a win at Galatasaray, and the fact that it's so difficult to win there, and then a very informed Everton team who were in a false position in the league with all of the advantages they had from, from what happened. You know, if they'd won any of them, it would have been his best away win. And I think it's it, given the, the scoreline in the end and the way they achieved it like we say not a vintage performance but ticked a lot of boxes and in the end you kind of look at it and think we stood up defensively the attack contributed the midfield looked better than it had done because of Maynou and the goalkeeper was good you know in the end you can look at every area and think they've got you know, goalkeeper defence midfield attack it all took a step forward yesterday so you know I, I think it was their best away win under Ten Hagen the it's the one game that, that's the game this season that I think they'll take most confidence from because the other wins were nervy wins fortunate wins wins where they really didn't play well for large parts of the game you know yesterday you could say things worked whereas other games things just didn't work and they just got a little bit fortunate at times or a centre-half came up and scored the winner I think that's the that's the, the win this season that they'll they'll take most belief and confidence moving forward from.
0: Best win of the season so far. Anyway, we'll look ahead to Galatasaray after this short break from the Manchester's Red podcast. Hello and welcome back to the final part of the Manchester is Red podcast. We've spoken about Everton. Let's look at the wider picture from the weekend then. Ty United did win 3 goal def- 0. Goal difference back to 0, a clean sheet. But Chelsea lost, Tottenham lost, City and Liverpool drew. Arsenal the only, sort of close rival that, that did pick up points. I mean, fans would say, well, Villa won again. I mean, you've got to keep an eye out on them. But I do think that every single season we see a team like Villa who make this, they flirt with the Champions League spots and slowly drift away. I mean, happy to be proven wrong, but I think that's exactly what will happen again. So for United all around, it is a pretty good weekend. I mean, obviously if Arsenal had drawn as well it would have be been ideal, but United'd be feeling quite confident and I think they'll be feeling confident of a top four finish again.
1: I mean they're right they're right in the picture of a top four finish, aren't they? It's you know, we had the conversation earlier in the season when they were playing badly, when they were losing games and we were talking about top four odds and at one point they were the eighth favourites, I think, for for top four, you had the the top three and Tottenham above them, but you had Chelsea were similar to them, but Villa were more... Were, I mean, Villa still might be to be fair the way they're playing, but Brighton were above them in the betting odds. Newcastle were, maybe Newcastle still are, but
0: but it, it makes it makes headlines, doesn't it? it mean, does if, you're make, trying, if you're trying to sell your betting odds, put United eighth is always a I guess it makes headlines. Taking, yeah, yeah. And we've said in the past that when United achieve, it gets amplified to preposterous sort of levels where people think they're a lot better than they are and then when United are having a bad season it gets again taken out of context to be end of days disaster sack them all get rid yeah. of the players burn down Old Trafford just start from scratch yeah. again make a new club they, they've got more points at this stage of the season than they had at the same stage of last season United no, I didn't know that so for a crisis yeah. club they're not doing too bad are they?
1: they're not no no I mean they started last season in crisis as well to be fair Um but no, they're, they're not, and they are right back in that picture for top four. I think, as we said, they need to play better to get in the top four. You would also look at their fixtures. What if they played? Tottenham and Arsenal away. Brighton at home, I guess, of the teams you'd say. If we're talking about an eight-horse race for top four. And they lost all of them. They lost all of them. Um, you know, there's clearly some tough games to... And, and City, of course, and they lost yes. that as well. Um, you know, there's some, there's some tough games to, to come such as Newcastle, if they're going to finish in those positions, if they're going to...
0: Well, you've got Newcastle, Chelsea and Liverpool in the next three or four weeks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, three in the next four. And Villa, of course. And Villa,
1: yeah. So, you're going, if you're going to finish above, well, you need to finish above four of those eight clubs. I mean, you're going to have to beat some of them and so far it's played four, lost four. So, they're going to need to put together a performance to, to beat a Villa, to beat a Liverpool, to beat a Newcastle, to beat... Chelsea, um, you know we've not seen that this year. They've lost. I mean they've lost all of those games pretty, pretty comfortably. I guess I can argue Arsenal was very tight at the end, but I think they've they've lost all of them on merit. Um, so they they need to play better. They need to produce a big game performance. But if you look at the table, they're only four points off top four after what thirteen games now. Given the situation, maybe six weeks ago, I think that's that's acceptable.
0: And um, the injury situation, the injuries as well, has always been a caveat where it's a factor. It's not for me. I don't think you can always say it is the main factor because fundamentally, even an even an injury the United side should be doing better in matches than they have been doing, and it's sometimes been a convenient excuse. But we did see at Everton that having someone like Luke Shaw back makes a huge difference. Yeah. But that is still an injury-striking United team at Everton, so you can't then say well, we've got players back now, it's all solved. I mean, like I said, United are capable of that performance even when they've got players sidelined. But when they've got a close to fully fit squad, they could be a hell of a lot better, couldn't they?
1: They could. Or could they be? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it was interesting. Like I said, that, that's the best away win of the Ten Hag era, the best performance of the season for me. Not a single outfield player that Ten has signed started that game. And if you... I mean, how many it's a question for you, how many of Ten Hag's signings would get back in the team? If everyone was fit again next week, how many of Ten Hag's signings would you put back in the team? Two,
0: probably. Martínez and Hoyland. Yeah.
1: Yeah, same here. Um, Which is is damning in a way. For £400 million. £400 million. And obviously the goalkeeper is is playing really well at the moment. Yeah, fair play to him. Fair play to him. Casemiro was great last year, maybe that formal return. But beyond that, you'd say, it, like I said, it, it would be Martinez and to the only to spell two. spell it out
0: then. When fully fit, and, and there's the caveat on when fully fit but using current form, what would, your, what would your strongest United 11 be? Because, again, you made a good point there, that while we keep on saying that the injury situation has been a problem, there's been so many times this season where we've said, look, when Anthony's back fit, he can be the solution, or when Casemiro's back fit, he can be the solution. He comes back against Newcastle he's bad for 45 minutes because I've injured. When Varane's fully fit, he can be the solution. But the fact is that you keep on identifying these injured players as the saviours and then until they kick a ball and they obviously aren't the saviour. So I do feel that a lot of United's, sure, I think is maybe an exception to it, but a lot, and and Martinez, even before the injury, he wasn't that good in the first few games of the season. But you you keep on saying they are saviours because they're not playing at the moment. So right now, what would your strongest sort of United 11 be back to front?
1: Probably Anana. I'm not really fussed on the right back. Maybe Dallow, I guess. Yeah, flip um, a coin. Yeah. Um, Maguire, Martinez, Shaw, McTominay, I suppose Mainu. I suppose you have to go Mainu. Um, Fernandez, Rashford, Garnacho, Hoyland, I think you'd, you'd probably have to say. I mean, we're, we're judging players and saying only two of his signings will get in based on this season's form. We've not seen enough from Mount. We've not seen enough from Amrabat. Um we've not seen enough from Casemiro this, this year on last season's form, clearly he would be in that team.
0: Eriksson's looked okay. Hasn't Ericsson's he?
1: done alright this year. I mean, if you were taking Manu out, you'd put Ericsson in at the moment. So that'd be that'd be three. So that'd be three. Keep us a four, yeah. um, but you know, I mean Malassi has never got close to, to Shaw. Um Anthony, like we say, just I, I don't really see the point of it. Um I guess you excuse Reguilon as a as a loan sign in. Maybe Johnny Evans you can excuse. I don't think he was signed to play in the team, was he? Um, but you know he spent a lot of money, and at the moment, a lot of these players you're looking at thinking they're on form, they're not getting in the team. Like it, maybe maybe he does throw Casemiro back in in January because he's Casemiro and what he did last season. But it's hard to find a path for Mason Mount to get in the team at the moment, for example. I think hard that's hard the worry for me.
0: I think if you put it out on like a spreadsheet. The most underwhelming signings so far take Hoyland out of it because you know, it's unfair on him, really. But are the most expensive ones, yeah. and then the ones who are lower to the bottom are probably Martin Unana, yeah. in terms of transfer fees actually
1: paid. Yeah, yeah, and um, like I said, I don't want to keep picking on Mason Mount when he's injured and it is still very early days. But you know, for a £60 million midfielder, it's he's not made United's midfield look better this year, he's made it look worse. And, there are I said before this, this caveats that he's playing a role he never played at Chelsea and he's trying to relearn it but um, just the, the way it's going it's like I said there's no path back into that team for him when he is fit and picking picking the best team at the moment like you, you asked them, that's my best team and, I mean maybe yours would be different I don't know but it's
0: yeah I think it's just the midfield depending on who you're playing against isn't yeah. it? which is yeah. the, the other thing I, <laughs> I asked you it, but I hate about those questions it's because well, what's the context of the match they're playing Yeah, because if you're saying you're playing for instance, like Bournemouth at home then yeah you can maybe play someone like Manu but I know he's played great at Everton but if United are going to play City away I'm not putting Manu in midfield Big ask, I, isn't it? I think it's just unfair on him and we're
1: also picking it we're picking it on form from one Wrong game games <laughs> in a way and we've got Maguire and McTominay in there who Tanaga wanted to sell both of them in the summer in a way it kind of shows how much this team has regressed It also shows a way, also, that yeah, they're well, in
0: that's what I meant in terms of in part two is that I still don't know the tactics of this United team because if, if you said, how does the Ten Hag team play, it's not how that team played at Everton. No. But they still won 3-0. And the other caveat, which I've already forgotten as I was speaking about it, was it was just maybe so, sort of that like in terms of United's identity, isn't it? It's like, what is it they're still trying to do? Because there comes a point where Maguire and McTon are being excellent, but ultimately, are they still players who can play the way Ten Hag wants his team to play long-term?
1: Yeah. Well, I guess the question is, what team does Ten Hag want to pick? And I don't think... I mean, maybe Maguire, but I don't think he would want to pick a team with Maguire and McTominay in it, if you know, if everyone was fit and things were working. Yeah, well, I guess that's
0: the point. I forgot I was making, <laughs> which is helpful. Was about United's plan, and it's, it's it's still the evidence that even at their best at the weekend, that is evidence that Ten Hag's long-term plan is just not working, because it was none of his outfield signings, and it was playing a way that he didn't want his team to play using players he wanted to get rid of. Yeah. So it's what is what is the actual plan here? Yeah, well,
1: it's you know, I, mean, I guess they have regressed, but it, it is a sign of regression that it is, you know, it's back to Solskjaer and stuff, isn't it? Maguire and Lindelof at the back, Shaw and Dallow or Shaw and Wan-Bissaka as, as full backs and you know, full credit to Maguire and especially Luke Shaw, who, as we were talking about earlier, is arguably one of the best two or three left backs in the league at the moment and is Mr. Consistent for United but then McTominay in midfield. In Marshall and Rashford. Even Marshall and Rashford, yeah. And, you know, Marshall was in there because of a Hoyland injury, but, but it was, it was, that was two, a Solskjaer team. Yeah, basically. two
0: players away from Solskjaer team playing Solskjaer football.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it does show that, I don't know, you know, I don't know. maybe, you do give Ten Hag credit for accepting that, for accepting things aren't working, accepting injuries have been a problem and finding a way to win a game. Because we're saying that's a Solskjaer team, but a Solskjaer team lost 4-0 at Everton. Um, so... And they did, you know, they did win there. Excuse me, I think three yes. one the year after, maybe after that game in Istanbul. But you know, the 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 Solskjaer team, that's the Solskjaer team playing better than or producing better, maybe than they often did yeah. under Solskjaer. But it does show that it, it's almost back to basics, isn't it? That and maybe it's good that he's gone back to basics. They've got five wins in six. Well, I think that's in the itself, point isn't it? that maybe
0: United did try to run before they could walk. Possibly, and yeah. To be able to implement your style of play you need that confidence first and that momentum. And to build that momentum, you need to revert back to basics to get gritty wins, just get the confidence flowing, get your clean sheets, go up to the form table, and then you can start to ask players to do things a little bit differently. Yeah. So the real test would be later this week. And that brings us on to Galatasaray. Obviously, Team News will caveat any sort of predictions for it. And, of course, we'll bring you all the coverage from Ten Hag's press conference, which is on probably... Early Tuesday morning, or late Tuesday morning, everything. It's 11 30. Yeah, I think if it's open, yeah, open training about it's quarter to nine or yeah. something. So we'll bring you all the coverage from Turn and press conference. He will be joined by a player as well due to UEFA rules and hopefully get some team news there, the likes of Anthony and Hoyland updates on them. Would you change anything then for midweek from what you saw at the weekend? I mean, do you stick with Meganu? Yeah, I think you probably it's do. Arguably don't the you? biggest game of their season. Their season could hinge on
1: yeah. you know, what happens I guess Saturday. the only question would be his match fitness. Obviously, he got that injury in July against Real Madrid. Yeah, it would have been July. That was his first game back. Don't think he'd played before then, had he? Don't think he'd come on anywhere. Um, would have presumably played that behind-closed-doors game in yeah. in the international break. But is he fit enough to go again in another energetic, difficult game? I guess that's the one question mark. But if he is, you'd probably play him. Hoyland, I guess, is maybe the, the one that you bring him in for Martial. But... You know, Marshall's just scored. If if there's ever a time to keep Marshall on the team, it's probably now. Um, but I, tell, I did say on Friday that Hoyland had trained and was they were gonna judge on Saturday that he's fit for Everton, so that'd make you think he'll be fit for Wednesday. Yeah. Um, so I yeah, think that's a, the decision.
0: That was the other caveat that we mentioned earlier that there's three massive games this week. So I think sometimes you need to be like, Well, Hoyland could play against Everton if we need him to, but let's not risk him because we've got two more massive games. So even if we lost against Everton, we've still got two more we want to win. So yeah. I think sometimes you've got to just give a player a rest. And I guess that's maybe even encouraging if that is the case, because we've said in the past that, you know, i have often been guilty of throwing players back in when they're undercooked yeah. and it can make things worse. We saw Casemiro against Newcastle comes back in from, from that suspension. Yeah. Was it a suspension he'd had in that game? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. He came Or really oh, was it an injury? I can't quite recall. But he comes back into the team... After 45 minutes he's injured and that's him out until after Christmas. Yeah. I mean, you need to ease players back into football sometimes and United haven't always done that. So that was encouraging to see. But, yeah, I think I agree with you. You know, Hoyland or Marshall is the, maybe the only change we'd see. Maybe yeah. right back as well. Right like we back said, to the one,
1: I guess. He might look for a bit more defensive quality maybe, I think. No, I thought United you know, with with the better team at home against Galatasaray, certainly for 70 minutes. But they, they were... They look quite dangerous going forward at times they've got quite a decent attack um so maybe one 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 bersaka in i mean i guess it depends not so which game you prioritize but and we, we were just talking downstairs and i said if they win another away game this week it's gonna actually be if they win two of those three i think that would have been a hugely successful week but i guess you look at it it depends or which think, one i was gonna say I, I said if they draw one and win one it's a hugely successful week but if they draw tomorrow it doesn't matter if they draw or lose tomorrow. They've got to win, haven't they, to stay in the Champions League? So, you know, if they win tomorrow and lose at Newcastle, yeah, I think that's still a pretty good week. If they win tomorrow, then it's almost a free hit at Newcastle. Yeah,
0: although the questions will then be asked at Newcastle: Why United's still so bad against the good teams? The good
1: teams, I guess. And yeah. I think
0: it will also, I think as well, to come full circle, the Everton win in isolation was was good. But if the problems continue and they aren't they've got no identity against Newcastle and they get brushed aside, then the Everton away win doesn't look like the best away win entertain up anymore because Everton
1: You wanna build on that with a performance, I guess, in one of these two games, don't you? And that's the challenge. Yeah. for all that we're saying, Galatasaray away is difficult. I mean Copenhagen were two nil up there with four minutes to go and all right, they got pinned back. Um I think Bayern only won it fairly late on there. Um so, yeah, it's a difficult place to go, but teams can win there. But if they don't win, you know, if they win the two league games away from home this, this week, it's a great week. But if they've not won in Galatasaray and they're out of the Champions League with a round to go, then, you know, it's still, still going to be a pretty huge caveat to the week, isn't it? That it's going to feel... Like, well, a failure, bro. Kind of yeah. A feel of failure, a failure because it is a failure not yeah, getting so, out of that group. So, whatever
0: so. happens, United are doomed basically. That is the, uh, the <laughs> maybe positive. they'll win
1: all three away from home. Yeah,
0: that's the one that's the one way to salvage yeah. this week, perhaps. But yeah, we will be back later in the week to, to analyze whatever did happen in this Istanbul and to look ahead to that trip to Newcastle this weekend. So, thank you very much, Ty, for joining us today. Thank you, Rich, and thank you very much for joining us wherever you are at home. Again, apologies for. The slight construction noises you may have heard earlier in the podcast. Uh, Hopefully you will be back to join us, like we said, later in the week when we look ahead to that trip to Newcastle. Thank you very much for, for joining us. Make sure to check out us on all the socials as well. The links are in the description below. Take care, and we'll see you again next time.